Rio de Janeiro. With a big man. Welcome to Frio de Janeiro. This is Abid Imam. I'm super excited because my guest for you is one of Australia's coolest people, Nina Agzarian, or better known as Nina Las Vegas. She's a music producer at her own label called NLV Records, a world-class DJ, and formerly the host of Triple J's house party show on Saturday nights. It was all about introducing Aussies to great new music, and she had an awesome platform, and I was one of the thousands of people in the audience that was tuning in every Saturday night. So it was a bit of a voice of mine and my friend's youth. She's achieved a lot making music and getting traction with her record label. We had a really cool chat around making music, DJing, and I really loved exploring that intersection of music and sport. Nina is also really well-traveled, so she had some awesome stories to share. There was a bird in the background chirping away for the first part of the interview, so that just adds a bit of a natural element to the sound. Show notes with the links to all the goodies are available, as usual, on abidimam.com. That site was made by supporters of the show, Sidebeats, and it's a super easy online website builder that even a pleb like me can get my head around. It's, It's awesome. It allows you to add some cool functionalities like e-commerce so you can turbocharge what you're trying to do with your business or your website. So I highly recommend it. I think it's now time to get the party started with Nina Las Vegas, so I really hope you enjoy it. Nina, it's an absolute pleasure for you to join me on Frio de Janeiro. So first of all, I'm very, very excited. This has been a while coming and I find you to be someone who's extremely cool and been a big part of sort of my youth and my friend's youth listening to you on on the radio over all these years. So a big welcome to you. Ah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's funny. I like, um, I haven't been on Triple J for five years and I definitely feel like, um, the the generation that listened to me are kind of getting older in a in a nice way. So, but that's why I left because I was, you know, you meant to give space for the, the new gen. Yeah, I'm I'm 92 now, so I've really moved on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everyone when when new kids kind of that discover me through my music or my label, and and ask like they'll say, "How old are you?" And I'm, I just tell them like I'm 35, and they're like, "What?" And I'm like, "Well." google me like like literally like I I don't know how how else I'm meant to hide it and also if I was any younger I wouldn't have done all the stuff I've done it's yeah I just own it I'm like I don't feel 25 I don't feel 35 I feel 25 especially when you're involved with a scene like that that it's it there's a lot more youthful vibe to it it probably does keep you a bit younger doesn't it well, yeah, and also because I have I have transitioned after the radio, I transitioned into a leadership role. Like I, I transitioned into um, into curation and running the label. So I, I, I stepped into the business side and um, I'm finding that in that world I'm very young. Like it's run by white old men. So like for me I feel like, you know, I'm considered youth. I got my gallbladder taken out in the middle of lockdown, like just after it kind of opened up again around June. And they kept calling me a young person. Like I had to kind of be like, (laughs) I'm 35. Like, is that young? And they're like, honey, anyone under 50 is young in our books. (laughs) I was like, okay, good. (laughs) Like surgeons, 
everyone under 50 is young to them. So it was kind of a nice, like, oh, that's good. That's good to know. I'd love to start with your your heritage because I understand your parents, um, the multiculturalism. Yeah. We spoke even before this that uh, it's a big yeah. part of this show. Would love to explore that with you. So basically my dad is Egyptian with Armenian heritage. My last name is Exarian. So like it's dysphoric, like you can, it's how it's spelt. So when I, when people see my last name, they instantly think Armenian. So because of the IAN and, and then my mom is like a settler, like she's from Albury and the story of them is they met in university in Albury. My dad immigrated to Australia when he was like 10 and he's one of four. He was the youngest with, and he has a twin sister. So his family came from Cairo. They actually grew up in a place called Zazig, like in Port Said near the, near the, the beach of like, people don't realize Egypt is a coastal country as well. And so they grew up by the sea pretty much and then moved to Cairo and then, my grandma's family is the Egyptians one and they kind of dispersed all around the world as all immigrant kids know that everyone is everywhere. So we have family in Lebanon, in Paris, in New York. And apparently my grandfather, who I never met, was 54 when he immigrated to Australia in the 70s and was considered too old for Canada and a few other places. So Australia was kind of second on their list and then they went and then and then like you know did the bone giller camp with all the it was white australia policy i'm pretty sure at that point so all the kind of um lebanese italians egyptians lots of egyptians came over on the boat and then in Aubrey, which is just so wild because that's where my mum's from. So when you think about it, they're the same age and they were literally, mum was at school while dad was literally in a room for five people in a box, you know, like for six months. Like it's just kind of wild. And like this is the, you know, that's just what they did when people immigrated here. They're like, it's not even, it, it, I've been there. We went to, it's it's a now historical, um, it's part of, you know, it's a museum because you go in and, yeah, it's just the tiniest rooms. And, like, they weren't refugees. They were, like, immigrants. It's just a it's just a bizarre experience to think about it. And then so then dad and mum went to university in Wagga and met and then that's then had me and my sister. So I have been lucky because, unfortunately, my grandfather passed away before I was born and and pretty quickly after he moved to Oz. So my dad had a, a very strange, just like a, a different kind of journey in Australia without a dad early on. Like I think he passed away when he was like 18. And then my grandma was a, like the matriarch. So like we we would go to Sydney, but because I didn't live, we didn't return to Sydney. We stayed in Wagga. Like my cousins can speak French. My cousins can, you know, we didn't have that luxury. I tried like heaps in my 20s. They would always try because French, they would speak French in Australia. It was much easier. She kind of hung out with French people and they would hang out with Egyptians, but, you know, they just did the assimilation thing and like went from Coptics to Catholic because it was a closer church. Like, you know, like all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, so we're, we're not Muslim. We're we're Christian so and that's from that side but yeah because it's it's funny because race and multiculturalism is a big part of 
every a lot of people like two out of three Australians, you know. Um, but it's just it's interesting because I grew up in Wagga. I'd never really, I, I hadn't met anyone really with the same like. I just remember in high school, people were like, ask your grandma about World War One or two or something, and I'm like, I can't. Like, like my my mum's parents, unfortunately too, like passed away when we were pretty young, and so they were really cool, but also very old school Aussie. And like my nan passed when I was like in year like three or four, and then my my pop had dementia, so like I kind of you know he was around but not really around. Um, but yeah, like I just didn't really have those stories. But um, my mum is an avid family history gal, so she's done all her side. And then the the now the new my aunt, my dad's twin sister is doing all their side. But you know the Armenian side is just lost because of the genocide. So. You know, it went from Armenia to, we think, well, I don't really know because there's, you know, it wasn't really discussed, like, as a kid until we're adults. So, like, why, like, why would you leave Armenia? Like, we just didn't know. And then, you know, you learn more about it. And because I, and I tour, I used to tour thanks to COVID so much, <laughs> L.A., there are so many Armenians in L.A. And before when you didn't have Uber and you'd get a cab or whatever, You'd see my last name. There's so many Armenians in LA, and they'd say Nina, and they'd be like, "What Russian?" And I'm like, "No, like I'm not actually like you know because the the name's Russian." And then I'm like, "No." Nah. And then at the end of the trip, you'd go to pay with the card or like cash or and they'd say Armenian. What? Oh, so am I. Like, <laughs> no, it's the Kardashians. Like, you know, instantly. Like, and I was like, "Well, I'm not like I am. It, it is like it's heritage. For me. It's the story." We obviously, Dad went two years ago to Armenia. I've never been. Uh, we have more of a connection with Cairo, so we've still got family there. So I'm lucky enough to have been three times to Cairo and twice as a teenager with my parents and then once as, like, a, in my mid-20s, and that was so fun because, like, my cousin was working there. He, they're, they're, like, upper-class Egyptians, so, like, we had drivers and stuff so it's like a very different experience but it's also it's like i guess that's what a, that kind of country is it's like the rich and the poor and they were the, the rich i definitely so, empathize with you on those cab rides i remember in new york city there's a lot of pakistani drivers and my dad's yeah. from pakistan so they see you know a beard imam and they're like oh you like, like cricket and we start talking about australian cricketers yeah, and, yeah. but for them it's a bit of a psych out to see someone who looks like me but speak with a really aussie australian yeah. accent a lot of fun yeah. The Cairo yeah. scene, I'm so fascinated about. What is it like there in terms of the music? And uh, I've heard some great well, stuff like, out of there. I think really good. I haven't had a chance to tour there. The more scene in the, middle, in the Middle East that I'm more familiar with is Lebanon because Lebanon has like, it has a scene, there's a techno scene, there was a cultural, um, well, basically I worked for Red Bull and so I would meet all these people from around the world and, like, Red Bull and Lebanon would always have a strong contingent of DJs and people and you'd see photos. Like, there's, like, it's very underground. Cairo, I think, is like that, but, like, I haven't been since the revolution. No, I went just after and that was, like, a new, it was, like, 2013 or 14. So it was when everyone had come back and like all the young people were wanting Cairo to explode and be cool. And even though the Brotherhood were run, was running the country, we still drank and went out. We just would go to these underground places 
And it was so interesting because it was just like, oh, I just, you wouldn't know. Like, and even as a tourist, you wouldn't know. Like you can't, people don't get, and you're probably the same. A tourist experience is so different to an experience with yeah. people there. But when you're a DJ and when you get to travel, it's also amazing too because you get, you meet the promoters and they take you to the spots and they take, like, it's almost like you get a tour guide that's that's into what yeah. you like. So, like, I was lucky enough to go to India last year or the year before and I spent five days there and I travelled, I did four shows in five days and it was just the most privileged experience because I would get put up in nice hotels and someone with me and you kind of just kind of realise travelling, like, how similar we all are, like, no matter what happens and and I really the last five years have been a lot of that like I've been so lucky to tour and travel because sometimes I take it for granted that I could go anywhere in the world and I would know someone at this point from a connection or someone or asking like I could go to Cairo my cousin isn't he's in London now my he's my age that lives in lives in Cairo if I went there now like if I could get on a plane and fly there I could call him and say do you have anyone that could link you know like and he would just put me up with some I could stay with my you know this it's second it's removed cousins but you know we're all like family so that would just get put up there so yeah it's it's one of those things where I feel really lucky and and yeah the the Egyptian scene I just can't really answer that because I think the world's changed so much but I definitely know um just like if you'd asked me a year ago I'd probably be more familiar about it and but I just don't know how these countries have survived with COVID or anything because mm. you see what is happening and that you don't know what to think on timelines and whatever like I, I think the numbers in Cairo are pretty high again like I, I don't I'm not sure how so. has COVID affected you right now because you mentioned it and and it's really hit the industry in terms of being able to club and bringing people together what's going on now like I know in Perth we're starting to we've uh, been able to have shows internally yeah, for a yeah. while but um yeah well how's it affected you I lost all my work basically so like I had a big touring year ahead and I'd worked really hard to build that over the last four years and like this year had felt like the first year where I hadn't I'd kind of left the triple j um had like it just wasn't known for Nina's triple j I'd known for my music and my label and I'd worked really hard and touring and I had a big summer in Europe planned I was in London in and was planning to be there to August and going back and forth and I'd had flights booked and everything. So I lost a lot of income, but I didn't lose money because I had, like, I didn't lose, I hadn't, I got everything back. I'm meticulously organised. So I had really good insurance that I've had forever. And so I got all my flights back. I got everything because it was also unprecedented mm. that, you know, we got everything back. And then I, um, I kind of had to, quickly adapt and because I run the label and I'd committed to financially supporting a bunch of artists through income I was getting I'd luckily had a really good summer in the US and like saved money so it had been the first there was just all these things that kind of made my year survivable in a sense that I had saved money I had me and um, my partner were in London and we were going to be there. We could get out of our rent before we committed to the visa. There's just a few things that happened that like kind of made things okay. Um, so then I came home because my parents, as old as I am, they're still very, very like <laughs> concerned. And there was, everyone was nervous. Like it was like March, no one knew what was going to happen. And the flights were shutting down and everything. So I came back and by chance, 
my next door neighbors were an elderly, like my parents' next door neighbors were an elderly couple who are like quite rich. And he just moved to a nursing home and she'd sadly passed. I, I never really met them. And they have had an empty house next to my parents for like three months. So it was one of those things where dad just asked. They'd been neighbours for 20 years and they were like, Nina's in this bind, can she potentially? And for them, it's worked out so well. So I've been here ever since next door to my parents at a house. Like that makes me feel fine. Like I'm just like, yeah, okay, like this is good. It's really helped me. I have been able to survive. But the thing is I had planned to go to Melbourne and then the border shut and all that kind of stuff. So right now I can't really think about moving anywhere and getting a new lease until I have, like I don't want to spend what I've saved or earned on rent. Maybe that's the 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 immigrant background in me <laughs> but like <laughs> I, I do luckily like worked a lot in my 20s so I luckily am like a, a homeowner and I own a place in Sydney that someone lives in so you know I have like it's not like I'm sitting here going like what have I done with my life like it's literally a pause moment that I'm focusing on like I've signed more acts I've we've ended up earning money I've done some I've done some gigs for night football I have just become more active on a whole bunch of corporate stuff, like I'm doing with Amex, like stuff that I wouldn't have been able to fit in touring. I also don't know how I did everything before because I've never worked harder on the label and I'm like, how did I do shows as well, you know? But so it's really been good and it does kind of like, it's just so, it's a funny one because I'm. It, it, there's so many positives about this year and like so many opportunities were lost. And especially for my partner, he makes music too. And he was in these, he was in sessions. We just got to London and all got set up. And like being around all these acts, like that's how you get, like he's a beat maker. Like he makes, mm. he was steps away from some really cool things. It just would have been hanging around a little longer, you know, like that's what it would have been. Um, but he's used the Melbourne lockdown to focus on other stuff. And like he's built a studio down there. You know, there's so much more energy in different aspects. And you kind of just go, okay, well, let's do what's best for us now. Let's save money and let's, then I'm going on Monday when the borders open and then, you know, we'll just take it from there. But both of us are very like, I'm not paying rent right now. Like, not well. Like if this, if this situation can stay and I think it like, so basically I'm doing them a favor looking after the house because they have no plans with it right now. So, so for them to have someone in the house is good and it works for me. And, and I, I don't know if it's the same in Perth, but, or like Western Australia, but, you know, everyone kind of ends up all my, some of my really good school friends that lived in the city and lived in the, um, in, in different parts of Australia have come back because they've had kids and like cost of living in Wagga is so much cheaper and mm. like so much cheaper. So like, Absolutely. you know, it, and even in the lockdown, I've seen friends decide from Sydney, like we're going to move to Liverpool or like move to, out west or like Wollongong and just get a bigger house because like well and that's also our age like you know we're all having mm. I'm not but like other people having kids and stuff so it's not a problem if you're not next to the, the hip cafe anymore you know like it just doesn't matter and and like we're so lucky like I can't imagine being 20 now and like not like I just had such a cool 20s that if someone was just saying to me you're never allowed to DJ again and clubs won't be open I'd be like 
okay. Like, you know, like, cause I just be like, <laughs> I'm good. Like I've had a great, like, I'm not saying I want that and I'd obviously miss it, but I would be like, okay, what's next? All right. Well, let's talk about the twenties then, because I, I'm really excited about the future and, and discussing that a little bit later. Yeah. But for our international listener, can you articulate the esteem that Triple J is held in so we can lay the platform about House Party and mix up that you did? Um, But Triple J. Um, Well, it's the biggest youth youth network in Australia. So, like, basically it's aimed at 18 to 24s. Um, It's an alternative station and it's become more of a brand or a lifestyle. It's almost like a noun now, like it's a little bit Triple J you know so it's the only thing in the world really like that like america doesn't have that kind of identity in a in a radio station um the bbc kind of you could say the reach is like bbc one but the music we play is like bbc six it's so funny because like you're so ingrained i was there 11 years i still say we like (laughs) like it's something you you find yourself like every time i type triple like if you want to say triple check or like triple i always try triple j you can't help it it's so funny like there's like little ingrained things because i was institutionalized by the institution (laughs) like um because ultimately it was and it's for it's paid for by the government so the other thing about it is that when I was there, you, you you aren't paid a huge amount because it's um, a government job. It's taxpayer-funded taxpayer um, and it is a job and we have editorial policy. So it kind of gives a bit of power when you leave because I was never allowed to do corporate stuff and I was kind of relieved that, you know, the influencer and social media, it was big but not big like it was today. Like when I started, I was like on Instagram and Facebook and stuff but nowhere near like what's like today. You just did your job. And people listen to the radio. You weren't like, and even when I left, I feel like I got a, a really good time just for radio in general because just platforms exploded. Mm. Like, there's just things to do everywhere now. And, but yeah, so I ran a, I did this show called House Party, which I worked on from the start, but I didn't host the first year, but I kind of always produced it. Like, I made the mixes and I was behind the scenes. I always worked behind the scenes. And then when the host left after a year, they asked me to go for it and I was like, no, nah, I don't like, why would I do that? And then Richard Kingsmore was like, you, you should go for it. And so then I put a demo in and they didn't like it. And then I was like, mm-hmm. I am not work on the show if I don't host it. Like I just, if something flicked. I was like, I have to host it. Like you have to help me host it. Like I work, I made this show, like I made everything like, and so, yeah. And so that was that job. And I did that for five years, but it was like every Saturday night live and I wanted to travel and DJ more. And I was I just five years was enough. And I'm just like, I'm not someone that sits there and does the same thing over and over again. Like mm. I really can't and I can't fake it and I can't like, I wasn't, I wasn't unhappy. Like, don't get me wrong. I just always leave on a high. I'm always like, all right, next thing. Mm-hmm. And so then I hosted Mix Up at the same time. And so I was doing like pretty much all the Saturday nights. And so I kind of became the dance person at Triple J and public figure. So I'd post playlists, what I liked and everything. And then at the same time this is happening, the flume explosion was happening and electronic music was getting big all over the world. And it just felt really cool to be part of that, which is where I, I like, which I did first. I was hanging out with like, I was going to festivals and like hanging with Diplo and being online and like, you know, it was just all this time. And then I just happened to have a platform too. So it kind of, it gave me um, legitimacy in what I did. It gave me power. Like, I know that sounds really, but it did like, it, you know, I, I, I would 
I would bring kids to Australian audiences when I say kids like artists. And so that was really cool. And I really worked hard and networked. So like I would be out hanging out and then when I did mix up then that was kind of the the show that meant that I wanted to show as a DJ I had my taste had evolved like I think the big thing was that like I never was interested in doing the breakfast or the drive shows I talk a lot as it is so like (laughs) I would probably like be cancelled if I if I (laughs) if I did one of those shows I would have just said something dumb um and also I just like didn't like sharing too much about my life a little Mm. bit I used to get so much flack. They're like, oh, you always do selfies. And it's just so ironic because everyone does that. You can't just like, I, I used to always get like teased. Like this is when Instagram started. Like, and the selfie award would go to Nemo Las Vegas. What the heck? They're all doing it now. Like all the presenters, it's all about Instagram now. And I, I, I actually like joke about it. Like I really do feel like that older sister that that kind of would get in trouble and like I would fight to get, the DJ tours happening to be allowed to take Triple J to use the word Facebook on air. Like I'd be like, you used to not be able to say it, you know? And like, and, and then, or it's just changed so much. And like, I have these little moments where I was just, I would get in so much trouble for really basic stuff that is just so ingrained in culture now that it's, it is what it is. So yeah, it's, it's just, it's cool. But I do like, I'm really proud of my time there. I'm really happy I left when I did. I can't really fault anything about it. It was just such a nice run. I do miss that, like, obviously. And also doing the artist stuff, it's really hard because I did have these people wanting to come to me for something they needed and now the the roles have reversed and I put out music and I, like, want to them to, like, you know, I still have to deal with Triple J because, like, (laughs) I have to deal with all the label acts, like I have to pitch stuff to them. And in a perfect world, I just would, I could close that chapter. But Australia is small and like everyone knows each other. And like Nick, who's the music director now, like we started at the same time. Like Ollie, the old boss, is now boss of TikTok. And it's just like, how, like, I'm never going to get rid of these people in my life. Like, never. And it's not bad, but it's just like, I would love to just move on from, like, imagine moving on from a job but still having to talk, need yeah. to talk to them like all the time. So, yeah, it's 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 just one of those things. I was chatting to a few friends before this and saying, yeah, I'm going to get to speak to Nina Las Vegas on the show. And they said, wow, that's so cool. You have to ask her about how, for instance, I get sometimes get complimented for my deep voice. And oh, yeah. they asked, can you ask her about when Nina realised that she had an awesome voice. Did you get complimented about how good your voice sounds to listen to as well? I don't think it's about my voice. I think it's the fact that I was a bit shit. So like, <laughs> no, no, but seriously, like you, I wasn't very, if you really broke down, there was so, I would mess up words. I'm not very good at reading out loud. Like, and I think people resonated with the fact that I'd be like a bit stumbly, and a bit cool and like I think people like that I don't know I just like you know if I made a mistake I'd be like oh sorry or like if I I'd get in trouble a bit because I'd play a song which they'd be playlisted and I'm like yeah I don't really like that song but you know I see why people do like I'd say yeah (laughs) I'm thinking don't say that like don't say that (laughs) loud but I think people just liked as well and because looking back at it now I don't know. I don't think my voice was always like that. This is definitely like, there's definitely a radio voice. I'm trying to think 
when I'm talking to you now, I can hear myself do the radio voice, but I'm trying to think of like, I think this is my phone voice. I can't work it out. <laughs> like, you know, I don't, I don't know. If something came up and was like, would you host this show? Like it uh, kind of a few podcast opportunities came up recently and I just want to do something that's so good. So I've done a bit of radio for Red Bull. I like I did some paid stuff years ago, but it was very niche. So like no one really heard. Honestly, with the pandemic, everyone is looking for work right now. So like I am happily not engaging in those conversations. Like I don't really want to be presenter. I don't really want to be like I did this, I did this Nike football Zoom launch for the um for the Australia kit with the Matildas and the Socceroos. Saw that. That was awesome. Well, I yeah, it was the first time I'd done everything anything live and they gave me the script like 30 minutes prior and like I look back at it now and I, I think I did like it was cool when I could talk, but I was just so out of practice of doing the live stuff. I was just nervous and and because I just but then I had heaps of fun. I want to work with them more, especially with the World Cup coming up. Um, and I want them to know that, like, I'm willing to put that work in. Because, like, when I was when at Triple J, like, people don't realise, like, when I started, I was 24. I'd never done, a sh- I'd done one mid-dawn before they gave me that show. Mm-hmm. And I just was shit, like, so shit. And they would train, every week we'd have air checks. They'd give me tips. Like, Richard was really good. The boss at the time, Chris Scannon, was really, they would just give me feedback. And then kind of the more comfortable you got, I'd stop writing. Like I used to write everything down and do it. And then like three years into it, I'd just be like, yeah. ah, here we go. Let's go. Yeah. Um, and, but yeah, it's, I don't know. I don't really know. I think as well, because like, I, I don't like everyone at Triple J is pretty dorky and, and <laughs> maybe I was just cooler. Like I tell everyone, like, I'm just actually was the coolest. Like <laughs> I can't help it. Like, uh, well, I love that answer. I want to talk about football because I love that you are a football fan or soccer, as many people say, but tell me about how that started up for you and who you support. I'm I'm a big football head myself. So this is the thing. Like I like, I can't tell you who played last week. Like my partner is an avid, um, avid Premier League fan. So, cause we've been together like six years. So I in turn now, it came back into my life. So basically when I was in high school, um, I would, well, primary school, I played a lot of football. My dad was just like two girls. He's like, you guys are playing football. We didn't really play anything else. We did all the sports, but he loved us playing soccer, like loved us playing soccer. So and this was before, it was funny because like two weeks ago I walked up to Duke of Kent, which is around the corner where I spent four afternoons a week for like five years at, you know, of my life in high school training. And I went to see my friends, little kids play who were like six and five. And I can't tell you, it's just like more girls than boys. Like it just was just so cute and cool. And because now I know with through FFA and women's soccer that, you know, they have a 50-50 participation rate until a point and then it changes. And what they want to do by 2027 is keep that participation up till 17. Like I've kind of done all the thought research about why women don't play. So I did it. I loved it. Then I got into the Riverina Cavani sport for it and it was, I was in the first lot of girls that had ever trained with guys. So it was horrible. Like no one knew how to talk to women. I was 11. I hadn't had my period and they told me I was fat. And I was just mm. like, like it was just everyone was so new to it and it's the same training camps I think they do 
you know, I don't know if it's what it's like in WA, but in New South Wales, it's they do country New South Wales, New South Wales, Metro New South Wales, and you have a national tournament external to the school stuff. So that's the feeder for the, well, A-League didn't exist then. So like, and Women's League didn't exist. So like they would do the feeder before you'd work, play for universities and then you'd play for the, well, no, you would play for Women's League, like 20, 2003, I can't remember. Anyway, so I did that for a couple of years. Then they didn't reselect me when I was like 13. And it just it's just such a weird thing to take as a kid. I didn't know how to train. I didn't juggle. I just played football and I was kind of good. And then they'd send you home with like hours of practice and juggling. And you just not, you don't get that that makes you better. Like mm. it's so weird. But like when I think about it now, I didn't know how to train like I was a kid. And so I got dropped and then I was like, I want to do it again. And like when I was like you 10, I tried again. I trained heaps. I ran heaps. I was there for kind of, I kind of started telling like in, in year 10, I did like, I got selected for New South Wales country, which is like girls from like Bathurst, Wagga, Juni, Riverina. Like it's the girls that aren't in the metro cities. And it was with like, I like I, tra- I trained with Sally Shepard. Or like he, she was around the corner. I trained yeah. Bernie Manor was for the Matildas. Um, the Blackwell twins, Alex and Kate, who now are the, now New South Wales like they play cricket for Australia. Yeah, like yeah. you know, Beth Kennedy, Josh Kennedy's like sister. Yep. Like well, he's a big name. And Josh, I and Josh I played with. Like I was he hit me in my I can remember Josh <laughs> Kennedy kicked the ball in my face when I was eleven. And I actually met him at the launch and I was like, Oh, I trained with you and Beth. And she's like a lawyer now. And um and and the Chapmans, Amy and the they those girls, like there was like so many Riverina girls that I'd play with. Um, and then I, oh, I can't really, yeah, I remember going to the camp and, um, and they're like, all right, Nina, I need to talk to you. And I was like, oh my God, I'm getting, I'm getting a run. Like I'm finally like, getting a run. And no joke, the guy's like, we need you to organize a talent quest. <laughs> <laughs> so when it, it kind of hit me, I just, I wasn't ready to commit to just that. So I didn't do it in year 11 and 12 and I was so much happier. Like I was just like, I can't do this training. And then um, it just was never, maybe if I did it now. Um, and then I, at university, I kind of tried to keep it up a bit. So I played for Sydney Uni. I played for like a few things. And then I just played for women's league and we all kind of sucked. And I like was just like so much effort. And I, and I was new to Sydney and I wasn't really connecting. Like it wasn't particularly I didn't really have friends in the sport. Like mm. I would go and like where I was making friends everywhere else. I was making friends in music and stuff and like soccer just became like a bit of a job. And it, I just think because like you don't have to play something to like it. Like, sure. you know what I yeah. mean? Like, yeah. and, and I think that it's nice to have a kick and I have two balls here and like I, there's, you know, I am around the corner from my old, my old stomping grounds. Like I see it and I get really nostalgic because I'm just like, I was just here so much. Um, and then the kind of Matilda thing happened through Nike. They'd heard I played, like I kind of didn't play and then Sydney, what, some a manager found out that I used to play and like Musica Copa was this like industry comp. And then Nike football, like Nick and the guys there, they kept hounding me. I started dating my boyfriend who was like an Arsenal fan, a Premier, Premier League. And so... The, the iconic story is that, like, I'm friends with DJ Snake. I was one of the first people that know him. And he's he's 
he says he owns PSG. You know, like he's he's so in with PSG. He is like, he cries when they lose. He was telling me once that Neymar doesn't know enough French. Um, Snake can speak. He's multilingual, so they'll call and he'll, like when he first got to Paris, like it's just like crazy. <laughs> anyway, so it was before the World Cup and they were launching the kit and I get this call from my manager at the time. It would have been like three years ago. No, it was the Men's World Cup, yeah. And they were like um, asking me, no, what? It was, I can't remember, two, because the kit launches are so weird because then we've just done a kit launch and I'm like, but when are they going to play? The Olympics aren't on it's it's like wow yeah it's it's a bit of marketing like they tried to refresh the kit because after the world cup you yeah. got it was meant to be yeah. tokyo so yeah 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 no but they do have some they do have some friendlies and stuff but i can't it was a kit launch and they asked me and i was in london at the time i think it was the start of 2019 and i'd seen snake at a tour and he's like when are you and he's like i'll get you tickets and i was like will you and and then i just asked him i was like can we get tickets to go see this champion? Liverpool play PSG. And it was when um, Cristiano Ronaldo was, it was the second of the two finals. So, like, they lost. Mm-hmm. Um, PSG lost. And he got us four tickets front row. And, like, and so then, but at the same time, so I'm liaising this and I'm like, I don't know, do we book tickets? Like, we're going from London, we got an Airbnb, and I was just like, i got to trust this is going to happen. Like, we've got to do it. The same week I'm getting a call from Nike being like, we really want a photo of Nina in the kits and we'll pay her <laughs> heaps of money. We need someone, like, because they're like, we want someone that is a musician and, like, and someone different that has a connection with the sport. And, like, the money was great and I'm like, I would have any other time flown to Australia, had the photo flown back and and I would have done that 48 hours for the money. Like, it was really wild. And then... um I just couldn't say no to the tickets. Like I was just like, so then they were getting this call and they apparently like and they were just so impressed that like they were like she turned it down to go to a Champions League game. Cause, and it was just so fun. Like it was a game where the, the PSG supporters got fined because there were so many flares. Mm-hmm. It was a game during Paris Fashion Week. So then when we did see photos of, Okay, so then the next part of the story, so I kind of gave up. I was like, okay, it's what's meant to be. Everyone's so happy. It was a great experience. Like we got four tickets front row. So good. And then uh, the next day I DM Snake and I was just like, thank you so much. Like it was amazing. And he's like, the club were messing with you. You should have, you could have sat with us. Like, like in the, you know how they have the full Arab, like the sheik with the screens, like that's where they were sitting in Paris. And I was like, and then he writes, um, but uh, Bella Hadid took your ticket. Like oh, Bella Hadid. Who's so, that? And so who's we were that? like, anyway. it's just a model. <laughs> like it's like, anyway, huge model. And then, and I was just so, I was laughing so much because then we just laughed because like I sent the text in the morning with, at Airbnb because there was three of us. It was like my boyfriend and his, my mate, his mate. And we had the best night. And like, and this, it just was like everything worked out. Like the tickets were great. The, it was like we got merch, like cool photos. It was a we didn't really like obviously we wanted PSG to win, but we both liked it. Like it was it was sick. I think it was Real Madrid. Yeah, it was Real Madrid. And 
Juventus. No, you mentioned you mentioned Ronaldo played, right? So it yeah, would have been yeah. Real or Juventus. Juventus. Yep. It was Juventus and PSG. I was thinking because we asked because he never went back for the Liverpool game. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so no, it was it was Ronaldo and PSG. That's right. That's because we've got a video. It was Juventus. Yeah. That's it, Tareen. That's yeah. I, I do yeah. know Snake is a massive football fan because one of my best friends, Tim, and I, we went to Moscow for the World Cup in 2018, oh, yeah. the World Cup final, and France were playing. And then uh, I think I saw some stuff on Instagram afterwards that Snake played for the French team yeah, in the yeah. after party. And it was just really entertaining to see how much fun he's having with, with these players who are now world champions. they got the World Cup trophy in their hands oh, and he's yeah. just DJing. And but but the second part of that story is... So we're laughing at the fact that we lost these tickets and we could have sat in the sheiks. Like the, all of us, we just kept joking. Like, could you imagine us just like on the screen, two ran- four random Australians being like, go PSG. Like, you know, <laughs> you know, um, and PSG make a real effort with musicians. So like I knew like they all make like, you know, Busy P's a French, runs a French label, Ed Banger. I saw him getting beers. They were all in PSG gears with their name. Like PSG make a real conscious effort with the culture, like, get everyone in um and then and then so the next day we're going and we we had a group thread and we get a photo of Bella Hadid sitting next to David Beckham so in our head we're like so we would have sat next to David Beckham like it was just like yeah anyway it was really cool and then the Matildas thing then they kept knowing and then I worked on a song with the Matildas and Nike and then I just became quite close with like Chris and, and Nick and the guys that run Nike football and um, nothing's officially there but like I've got a few ideas for the World Cup and stuff because I really believe that music and sport gel and mm. in Australia though we don't really have that culture in the same way that you do in the UK like I just think we could make it we could tie it so much to better and I think like when I then and then um with the bid the as one bid um Nick linked me with the Football Federation Australia and they were like um would you be an ambassador for the bid and and I when I did it and it was like Sam Kerr me and all this kind of stuff and when I posted it I never had more interaction from like old friends musicians just being like this is such a good partnership. And, like, that's when you think brand stuff and when you think what you're going to do, I can't tell you everything about the Socceroos or, like, I can tell you where some of the girls play. I don't follow it meticulously. I don't have an a You know, like, I'm, I'm not a great fan, but they kind of like that because I'm like, yeah, I just like it. You know, like, you know, it's, I, I but I, I know the, like, I know the goss enough. You know, I know, I know when there's conflict or like I kind of like that's what people don't realize. Football's so juicy. There's so much goss, like, and especially the Premier League stuff, like, is so good. But after that launch, like, I follow Lydia and um, Ellie and Haley and and those girls. So we're kind of Instagram friends now. And then like there was a few of the guys that were really like I think because I was there and a bit more. Um, so the other host is a Fox Sport host and I'm just there like, cool top. Like I was like <laughs> just, the, but they kind of like that. So it was, it was good. It was, it was fun. And so I hope to do more of that with them. I, I don't think people realise how, how big it's going to be. Like, like the regular people, like this is so massive that the World Cup is in Australia. And like, that's why I'm just like, all right, how am I going to help A, spread the word, work with them, 
like an ideal situation would be me being DJ Snake for the, you know, like I want to be that ambassador because like it's a pretty diverse team. They've got First Nations women playing. They have, you know, Sams of the different descent. Like it's so cool. We have this like really cool, diverse, strong, proud, like bunch of women and the the men are like like it's not just a white team anymore, you know. Like it's yeah. it's pretty cool, you know. Yeah. And, and the Socceroos and the Matildas re- reflect the diversity of the community of Australia exactly. more so, which is really exciting. And yeah, I've been to like, the last three World Cups, and like it's the best universal yeah. party apart from a music festival or a United Nations gathering, you know. Yeah, but like it doesn't like it, you know. I think people don't realize like. It's going to feel like the Sydney Olympics in some ways. Like that's what we can, you know, in some ways you'll want to go. And the quality is so good. And I don't think I was in America when the World Cup was on. So I got to see how, um, you know, the the US women are treated and they are superstars, like superstars. Like it's Rapinoe. I can never like Megan Megan Rapinoe. Yeah, Rapinoe. She is just so amazing and Apparently, like when so when they won, I then went to Nighttown in New York, and it was so cool because like it was just all her. And um, is it Amy? Who's the other? There's Alex two Morgan. really. Alex Morgan, that's right. Who's just had a baby? Yeah. So like she's it's yeah it was it was pretty impressive. Like it was so cool, and how powerful they were against Trump, and like. So many people followed them because they were just so good. And I, I don't think people realise, well, we do, but, like, the greater public don't realise how great the the sport is aside from the Matildas. And I think that because I wasn't, everyone was kind of, mum and dad were telling me, like, once the Matildas got out, you didn't really hear about it. And it's like we're going to get involved in all of it. Like, it's like you'll just get involved in all of it. It's going to be great. Mm. And when you so, travel a lot, we're talking about those taxi rides or Ubers, football is like this common language. You can talk yeah. about what's your team and people, you know, it's a way to create friendships, yeah. which is cool. And on that note, I want to talk about, I guess it's a good jumping off point, Diplo, because he's very involved uh, in football too. He loves the sport. But he's, he's been got, a bit he's got of a, a, board a team. He's got a team right now. He's got a, he's team, got a team, yeah. Yeah. I think they're like in one of the third divisions or second division of American yeah. football. How, do you, how did you get to know Diplo? Um, because I'm a big fan of his international perspective and how it permeates into his sound and I find him a very fascinating character. So your yeah, your history. That is like the key. He's just hyperactive. Like he's just, and he's a, he's a true researcher. So like if he likes something, he'll try to meet the person that created it. Not like, it's pretty wild. He's, oh, I just met him online. Back in the day of forum before social media, he was on a forum that a lot of us were on. So there was like a core group of us DJs in our 20s when he was a little bit older and he did a bunch of shows in Sydney and I would help my friend Levens, um, Levens in a drive. So like he would do these tours with these big DJs for like five, who are massive DJs now for like $500 and I would pick them up from the airport in my like 1984 Ford Laser. Like, and it was just, that's how we met. So, yeah, and and then he started, he did um, heaps decent with us and he kind of, it's hard because it's actually, I've known him for like 13 years now. You know, I've, I've, I've got a lot from him and like he will help me. If I said to him, I really need this, whatever it is, he would do it. 
And he was like that for a lot of people because he's known me for so long. He stayed at my parents' house, like, you know, when we did, like, it's just a long history. But, yeah, I do, like, don't love, like, his music. He wants to be, he can't stop. For me, I'm just like, you could have a break. You know, you could be, but he won't. It's kind of impressive, but also, like, I, I love old major laser more than new old major, but I've told him that. Like, I'm just like, I miss when it was kind of, this new thing but he's also a genius and smart and like an investor in snapchat and like across you know like working on fortet before everyone else like he's just always on the pulse so like it's really impressive to watch when he does like something you know you're onto something cool because he gets it for someone who's in his early 40s it's kind of wild how much he can be understand different generations like it's such a rare skill like for him to go and switch between you mentioned uh, Heaps Decent, and I don't know if a lot of people understand or know just what that awesome organisation does. Yeah, so when I was, yeah, 2004 or five, I think, five, six, I can't remember, um, They uh, Diplo came and did some workshops with at First Nations communities and then wanted to start like an organisation. We were all really young and stuff, so we kind of got all this gear from Diplo and we started hosting us me and my friend Levens and then a festival company fuzzy who do um field day and you know we were stealing a lot of their acts when on their off days to go to juvenile justice centers and be like <laughs> hey you're in a workshop I kind of can't believe how we did all that we we're just hustlers and then um and then the, the fuzzy was like let's make this legitimate because like we're worried that you know you got to have organizational dgr status and like board you can't just be you can't just take donate like all the stuff we didn't know so then they formalized it wrote a constitution it became charity and like a legal like organization and they help us employ a board member like employ a ceo and a manager and two women kind of changed it one woman called erin morrissey and then narita woods who we work with now and like they are just they have just built the organization so it's a now 13 years in it's I'm on the board and so is Levens and um, we do, well, with the pandemic kind of jobs keeper saved all the organisations because, like, they would have just gone under and we didn't, which was great. Um, and so they do a whole bunch of, it's, a, it's, a, it's an organisation now not necessarily for just First Nations people. It's because we're not, we're white fellows, like we can't really, you know, claim that or do that um but we do work with a lot of indigenous communities we work with a lot of multicultural communities we work within the juvenile justice center within refugee centers within so it's 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 marginalized young people basically that we run music workshops but also art workshops now too so we do a lot of visual art we do like we've diversified because it's a multidisciplinary like existence so we can't just go in and record a song like now we do like 3D videos and like animations and filming and storyboards and like, yeah, it's really good. So they there's four ongoing monthly programs. There's weekly ones. There's there's about eight facilitators at work and, yeah, we want runoff grant money. So if anyone wants to donate, that will be great. <laughs> so cool. We'll put the link in the show notes for sure. Yeah, but it, it's good. And, it, and for a company that has, or an organisation that's gone through a pandemic, we've, survived to this point so that's good and back doing workshops and stuff but we do such like such it's it's so cool definitely link the website because i'm not giving enough justice how many programs there are and how oh, many different you. people it touches 
I was actually having a chat to Nerida Woods and Adam Bezzetto through oh, yeah. a Digi Engage conference I was part of um, earlier this year, and it really piqued my interest in looking at DJing. And then just out of luck, like two weeks later, I was walking down the street um, in Northbridge here in the city, and there was like this art exhibition going on. And it was run by Soul Alphabet, which is this platform run by African women to support oh, wow. the black and, black and brown community through like music and art and other creative things. And they had just started this new project called Take Up Space uh, to oh, give wow. the opportunity for black and brown artists to learn DJing and um, try and get a better representation in the Perth nightclub scene. There are these month monthly workshops now that we get to do. And we're getting taught by these cool Perth DJs who oh, are putting sick. their time into it. So Sarah, a big shout-out to Sarah T, Rock Riley, Nafta, Sepse, oh, I think I've met, Linda. I think I know Rock Riley. I've seen them online. Um, no, it's cool. Perth, Perth's cool, man. I think and even being in Wagga, you can do a lot more community engagement so directly. Sometimes the cities make it hard because, like, price of living. Like, it's Redfern's not Redfern anymore in the same way. So, like... Mm. A lot of the work the guys have to do is involves an hour travel, you know, where Perth I feel like is a little bit more community-minded because it can be, well, especially during the pandemic, literally shut yourself off from the, the... Yeah, I mean, this winter uh, felt like a summer because we were able to go out and we just felt this privilege of being able to. And yeah, the, you know, you. The, the outpouring once the lockdown finished here was pr- quite awesome. But, um, Nina, what were what were the initial gigs like for you as a DJ what do you remember from you actually discovering DJing and how did how did you get to become let's say a master at it or, or very good honestly I just did whatever came to me I wasn't and when I started it was peak going out like it was clubs were open till six people were energetic this is a different time always a full like more more full shows than empty as a young DJ. So, like, that was pretty privileged and lucky because, like, it doesn't happen like that now. The, the mentality about going out, especially in Sydney, is just totally changed. It's like you do stuff at home, it's expensive, you know, people do drink less, do, like, it's, you know, scientifically proven people are, like, less wild. <laughs> so yeah. it was just, I don't know, I can't really remember, to be honest. It was just so fun and I had friends everywhere I went and, like, I'd be able to stay in Melbourne for a whole weekend and then someone would pay for me to fly back and I'd go to work during the week and then I'd go to Perth for like five days and come. Like I was like a platinum flyer from like 25, like just crazy, but also looking like rat shit like everywhere I went <laughs> and like not sleeping. And like, yeah, so it was funny because, yeah, it was, that's kind of, and that's just how I did it. I just practised as I played. And then I would, once I got more into producing, I'd start editing stuff, make mixes, make edits. I'd, and the radio was so lucky too because I'd try things on the radio and no one would text in. I'm like, all right, not that one. And then I'd get to know what song was popular. And you could do that now with Spotify tryouts and like Shazamming and stuff. But, yeah, totally different time. Was it for you DJing and then that made you interested in being able to make your own music was that the natural progression for 100 percent, yeah and also because I was using the software to make my radio shows to do the heaps decent workshops I was like a capable producer and I was seeing like not enough women making music and I was just like I can't do everything like my brain is like very stagnant like that like I can't run a radio show and try to do music I need to spend all my time doing it and then I kind of 
outdid my own headspace by like signing a label as well. So then I would get flogged by the label. But yeah, so that was definitely it. And and now I've like I definitely feel like I'm the best producer I've ever been just because I've had more time to work on it. And like where I used to get tweaked to help with my music and like people to, to, to do top lines. Like now you just kind of when you're on your own, you're forced to do it. So like my last two releases have been I always have people help me mix it or like give me an idea or like kickstart a session and I think that's totally fine it's like being in a band but these last few songs have just been like 100% me and it feels really good like because it's just like oh wow I'm actually good at this like you just take it takes a while it takes ages if my only regret is I just didn't do it sooner you know but now that I'm here it's like yeah it's cool is one of those songs that you're referring to busy from NLV yeah. Records yeah. because when I heard yeah. that song, I just felt like I wanted to be in Tokyo, like on the way to a club, you know, oh, it just had that, it had that vibe about it where Tokyo has got all these neon lights and it's busy, just yeah. like the name of the song. Well, it started as busy and then this, the lyrics kind of like don't stop, don't stop, and then I was like, I'll change it to don't stop, and then I was like, nah, busy makes more sense. It's so busy and it's like the thing was I was doing this song, I started the song on my laptop in at an Airbnb on December 31st, I remember, during the fires. And I just have this video of me lying there making and I'd found this sample, like the the grindy sample, and I'd remade it to sound like me and, like, just, yeah. Yeah, I really like that song. And it's, like, if it was in a club, that would be sick. But I kind of wanted to have those moments, like, it's the song is meant to be for this time. It's meant to be for running, working out training like yeah you know I want Nike like I keep telling the night guys I'm like sync that shit like <laughs> let's make a ad out of this song Nina I usually ask a lot of sports people you know your favorite innings or your favorite sports events or favorite moment in sport but what was your favorite DJ gig that you played at oh I can't you can't go past Coachella that was pretty special like that's pure bucket list but then, like, other things, like, I've had some wild, like, I had one gig in Poland with Red Bull that was just one of those gigs where I was with all these people that I was working with and usually the kind of the old mob, like, us, we, like, if, if we would, once our job was done, we'd go because, like, we don't stay out till seven anymore, you know. My set was at four and, like, everyone stayed. And it just was one of those moments where I felt like, such a pro and like it was just such a cool club like everything worked cool club cool visuals dark vibe like it was just everything yeah so that was like um red bull three style like 2018 yeah it was really cool what would you tell a dj who's just starting out now and is driven hard working who's going to put the work in what's some advice that you've learned over the last 10 years 15 years that can help someone on the way up um, be able to, well, always dance. I love a DJ that dances and also be okay to work with the crowd. So like, don't be too precious because in a time like this, where, especially in our country, it's hard to find niche spots to play exactly what you want. So just be more flexible. And it doesn't mean you have to play stuff you hate, just be really open to a lot of music. So I like, I think you should always have a backup USB, to be honest, of like songs that you're okay to play. And, yeah. and I, and I'm also like play something for the crowd and then two things for you. That's the mentality. Nice. Nina, I know you're very busy with time. 
One last question. Is there anything you'd like to leave the audience with? I know that we'll put some of the things in the show notes that you mentioned, but one last message to the audience before we go. Oh, that's a a tough one. I think everyone now, and especially this year with Black Lives Matters and all this discussion about community change, I think if you're in a position to do something and be more open-minded, you should. So before you make that decision about the lineup or the set list or the feature artist or even like where you choose to eat, try and just try and expand your own um, community engagement. And I think that will just make like our country so much better if we're more open-minded. Well, Nina, thank you so much for helping make music in Australia so much better and I hope you can take over the world with NLV records. We'll definitely be following. Me too. Me too. <laughs> this was so cool. One podcast at a time. Thanks so much, mate. It was really lovely. Bye. How good was that? Nina Las Vegas for an awesome chat. All of the goodies and the links will be on abeardimam.com. Make sure to check it out. Thanks to Sightbeats. And until next time, keep smiling. Keep scoring.